Hello and welcome along to the Family and Friends podcast. My name is Maxi. I'm one of the producers here at Family Creative and this is our new weekly podcast. Each week we plan to introduce you to some of the guys that we work with quite regularly and some people that we haven't even worked with at all yet. Our guest this week is Otis Dominique. He's now an established director, having come up through the AD ranks. And it's interesting to hear some of his insights about the current Black Lives Matter movement and what it's like being a person of color in the industry. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Family and Friends with Otis Dominique. Honestly, man, it's an honor, man. It's a pleasure. Mm. I love you guys. Like I was saying to you guys earlier, coming down here today has been the first time in three months I've come down to London. And it's just inspiring to come back here after this quarantine started I've been like out in the sticks so it's just nice to come back see everybody moving around seeing everyone trying to get theirs you know what I mean sometimes you get frustrated with it like they're kind of like the rat race and everybody here and everybody there but like it's this time in, yeah, like, it just feels in. nice man when you, when you haven't been somewhere for a while it just feels great coming back in you know it's been a unique opportunity for us to have a bit of a reset I mean I'm you know speaking for myself but for sure having just a few months to sort of Take a step back mm. and just, yeah, I don't know. So it's just, uh, what's, what's the term people use? Take stock. Yeah, for sure, just, man. You know how you're feeling and where you are Definitely. In, in life and in, in everything, really. Definitely. Uh, it's been quite refreshing. It's like it's like the self-reflection phase and also, it's like, it's kind of uncomfortable and a little bit painful, but if it wasn't for a time like quarantine, you're never going to be able to do that. For some yeah. people, it's absolutely fine. But for me, I just felt like you're looking inside at things that you never really even addressed, things that you could do better, clocking, like I was saying to you earlier, like clocking, like what makes you tick in a bad way, what sets you off in a good way, and just trying to, just just trying to get better, man. It sounds kind of cliche and a bit cheesy, but that's 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 what this has been like as a blessing, you know. Like in some ways, in work and just normal life, it's like put things on a standstill. And at first, it was kind of like for me anyway, it felt like quite anxiety inducing, mm-hmm. right? But then after a while, that kind of weird, the weird timing of it all kind of all becomes like a norm, right? And then from there, you just try to do what you can. Yeah, well, it's quite surreal at the start, wasn't it? Sort of when I. Uh, just before, uh, the, literally the day before lockdown, I managed to get out and went to uh, Wiltshire to see mm. some family. Mm. I was only planning to stay a week and ended up staying nine. <laughs> so, oh, swear! Is that how that happened? Yeah, that's how it happened. Yeah. What did you stay there because of like being stuck, like not being stuck, but like, or was it a kind choice? Of, yeah. I mean, it was. It turned into a choice mm. because there wasn't really much point in coming back to London the way things were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. I was on, on furlough and all this kind of stuff. So there wasn't really, you know, much to really come back to. You weren't mm. really allowed to go out and see your friends or anything. Mm. But uh, yeah, living in the same clothes, in the same like four t-shirts <laughs> for two months was pretty long. Uh, Listen, I've got a selection of wardrobe and I've been living in pretty much five to six outfits myself, man. So trust me, that in that area, yeah, it's like, that it's been demotivating as hell. Like with like fashion or just putting outfits together, anything like that. Like seriously, man, I know that's not the forefront of people's minds, but I have not given a crap about that. It's literally <laughs> just been basketball shorts, same old raggedy ass tee. Like that's just what it's been. Mm-hmm. Is that is it your parents that live up in, in Wilshire? Yes, mate. Yeah, well, yeah. we're all from London, but mm. they, they retired five years ago. Mm. So they uh, they got out at the right time, really. I think yeah, so. sick. Yeah, so. That's banging. At least you can walk around a bit more free. The roads aren't like chock-a-block, tr- having to jump into the road to swerve people. That was it, man. Like, we were 
me and my girlfriend were on average hiking like 60 kilometers a week. Jesus which is, Christ. Which is good because you, you couple that with other activities, you know, whatever, keeping quite fit. What, uh, like 10, basically 10K a day? Like 8K pretty much. a day? Mate, it's easy around there. We're in a tiny village. You literally go for a lap around a village, you've done like two kilometers. Mm. So you extend that out a bit, kind of do a couple of zigzags. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, we try to do like a 12K every day or at least every other day. Right. But then some days we'd like, we did 27 in one day before. Jesus 27 Christ, kilometers around sick. Salisbury Plains. But my legs were fucked by the end of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. How long was it taking you to do it? That took five hours, six hours. Okay, I was going to so, say. Because I, I was going to get yeah. competitive then because I've just been doing flat runs, yeah, for like 5K <laughs> and not been doing good times <laughs> compared <laughs> to my friends. My times have been dead. So yeah. I was thinking to myself, if these lot are hiking 10 miles in under like 45 minutes to watch I've been doing these 5Ks, I was about to get embarrassed, man. No, oh, it's definitely, good. definitely more than yeah, because you're going up, <laughs> yeah. you're going uphill. There's a lot of up walking. and down. It's uneven terrain, mm. um, but it's great exercise. No, I loved Sweet. it. I've, I came back three weeks ago, uh, so I'm just trying to get sort of back into the swing of of London. Really, everyone's kind of chilled out a bit mm. with it. With yeah, it doesn't. It, sure. it, it doesn't feel as present here, man. No. Like I'm, my, my my stepdad, he works in um. He works on like painting and decorating in East, like around here. And yeah. he was saying to me, "Listen, near the market, stuff like that." He's like, you wouldn't even think Corona kind of exists in a lot of places like in, in London, especially at the parks, stuff like that. Um, and I was kind of like, is he exaggerating? But when I actually came, I was like, damn, it's kind of true. Mm. Well, like even when they locked down, loads of builders were still just out. Doing their thing. Doing yeah. their thing. Mm. Um, quite a lot of my friends who are builders or, or electricians outside of London, they didn't even stop work. Mm. One of my friends, the scaffolder down in Cornwall, he looked, didn't stop work. That's mad. Yeah, they just didn't really take hold down there. Yeah, bit of a sort of pandemonium in London, perhaps with the yeah, mainstream yeah. media. No, I hear you. This has affected everyone in different ways, but self-employed. Uh, it's been it's kind of tough because you get you can get like a grant for the three months or whatever, mm-hmm. but but because you're waiting for that over the three months, in that three months time, you're kind of just eating into what you might have saved or might not have saved. Do you know what I mean? Of course. Um, so that's being a bit crazy. And then on top of that, it's just when you're used to a flow, like like our industry, like me, it's, it's never the same thing. You're not really just coming somewhere and being there for a certain amount of hours and then bouncing. It's always going to be different. Even if you work in a production company and that's the case, you, you've got meetings, you've got different projects going on. You might it's have recce's, whatever. It's like yeah. a buzz. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like you're mo- always moving. So like that being taken away at first was a bit tough to deal with. Mm-hmm. But what I was trying to do was like, revisit like director's cuts that I never like edits and stuff I never thought got justice that maybe got rushed over the line um things like that like also invest in a bit of kit try to kind of like expand the skill set um but yes it's weird like with the motivation it's been a bit up and down but yeah that's what I've been trying to do uh also I got an absolute touch like I was saying to you the other day I was saying to Dave or you I got a touch with like a job it was like a Curry's um TVC and they, they were looking for like, I think they chose like 10 directors to shoot home footage. So yeah. they had a lot of the employees uh, at their agency shoot some footage. They had Curry's employees shoot some footage from home, right? Mm-hmm. But then they wanted some stuff that was a little bit more like artistic or whatever. So they, they hit up like 10 directors to shoot some home footage to do with like things that could be considered like Curry's products. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, so, and you can shoot however you want it. So I did some, some footage on my phone for a day, it was like a one second clip and that got chose for the TVC, which was an absolute touch, like in terms of timing, <laughs> money, etc. 
But other than that, man, it's been pretty damn dry. But you just got to try to just stay positive, innit? Just keep your head up. Think storm's going to pass. Exactly. I, was, I was quite lucky as well because I had, I had a couple of things in place. Like some directors I know that I've spoke to, they didn't have anything in place. Because obviously you have that time. You have a time when you finish a project. You might not have anything for a couple of weeks, maybe a month, maybe even longer. And then in that time, you're working towards getting new jobs, sowing those seeds, whatever, right? So if you're in that kind of stage and then Corona hit, then you're really effed. Like you would have been in a worse position, I should say, right? Because I had two things that were going on. So at least those two projects, I could maybe like get like, a bit of drip feed of income from sure. ones, you know, like maybe yeah, you can yeah. bend the rules a little bit with how much you were going to get to begin with if the company's understanding. So I felt super lucky for that. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's been up and down, but I think ultimately overall, I think coming out of this, man, everyone's going to be, it's either going to like, not make you or break you. It's a little bit too far, but for some people that will be the case, you know, it's just what can you take from this? Where did you first develop a a passion for for making films or working on set? How did it? How did this first kind of you know spark start clicking spark and stuff? You, yeah. Right. It's weird, man, because like in in high in high school, I don't think I really I I was like a bit of a cocky idiot. So I kind of in a way I thought I knew what I wanted to do or whatever I was gonna do, I was gonna do good in. But like I didn't really know I didn't really know exactly what I was gonna be. Mm. Um, and then I went to sixth form and did a couple of, like, you choose a couple of, of subjects that you want to do, right? And one of my subjects was media. And I remember we had, like, one of the one of the assignments was, like, a five-minute thriller film, right? And ours was <laughs> absolutely terrible. But at the time, at the time, like, I thought it was cool, right? I thought it was good. I really enjoyed the process. Mm. Um, just filming it on, like, handy cams. And, uh, and a lot of sixth form, to be honest, man, like... A lot of six form, I'm, I'm not going to lie, man. I said to myself before coming here, I'm just going to keep it real with this podcast. A lot of six form, I spent a lot of it playing poker. A lot of it was was spent gambling, man. I'm not going to lie. Like, sorry, sorry to anyone out there that didn't know this. But yeah, like me and some of the boys, we were like almost obsessed with it, man. We'd play poker in class sometimes, breaks, whatever. And I just wasn't that serious. Like I went into six form with no, you know, you don't really have purpose. You're just doing it because it's like a, the, the like the next That's logical what you're step. supposed to do. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Everyone Everyone's kind of been telling you at school. Yeah. This is, like, this is the direction. Yeah, yeah. You either go to college or you go to sit. And because six was part of my school, it just felt like a, like a little bit of an easier choice at the time. If I'm looking back on it, honestly, right? Um, so, but I remembered that I really enjoyed media and I really enjoyed that film assignment in particular. So after the first year of sixth form, that kind of was pretty much flunked, I'm not gonna lie, without going into too much detail, <laughs> I, got, I got literally zilch in terms of like like academic qualifications from sixth form. But I knew this media thing, I thought, I wanna just, I wanna do this all the time. Mm -hmm. So I chose to do like a BTEC at college to do with film production, right? Um, so then I went to college, did like a two year course in film production and it was quite hands-on. Like you could use cameras, you learn a bit about uh, film production, the history of stuff. It kind of wasn't as practical as maybe as it should have been like thinking about back it, back on it now, but it was good, man. You like, there was different assignments and I just really enjoyed the directing side. Like enjoyed the editing as well, but I really enjoyed the director side. Again, Hella terrible, terrible films made. So, what, what kind of stuff are you making? Oh my God. So there was one, the commercial assignment, we had to do an advertisement one, right? 
I called mine oats oranges. It was an advert about an orange, right? This was like the first maybe ad that I could say that I that I made like with the, with the premise of selling something in air quotes. Did right? the orange have a name? Oh my god! It, the orange didn't have a name, but the, the the company, the fake ass company, was called Oats Oranges, like Otis's oranges, basically it's the the deadest name ever. And basically, the concept behind this, right, behind this ad was, oh, I'm just trying to think about how the way it went. Right, so. I didn't have anyone so it was just me acting it just self acting right <laughs> and there was three scenes there was like a scene where I'm like lovingly talking like um, looking out the window and like having like a like lovey dovey conversation on the phone yeah. right there was another one where I was like waking up in bed and kind of turning over like so pretending that it was like a girl there and then I might have been talking on the phone to a girl and the last one was having like a romantic meal this is all just set up on tripod filming myself doing this having a romantic meal right yeah. so they're the three scenes you see then after that the scenes you see is okay the person I'm talking to on the phone is an orange on the phone then the person you see me talking to dinner is an orange next to a candle and the person I'm laying over in bed like waking up to you next to the bed and smiling at is an orange on the pillow right so that was like the premise and then at the end it was so 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 dead I can't even believe I'm explaining this but at the end like instead of like the orange being like a, a much loved thing you actually see me like with a knife like raising the knife up and then chopping the orange in half like it doesn't even make any sense and then it was like oats oranges love at first bite (laughs) bang that was the hit you're a natural born storyteller there you go mate it was terrible but again I was enjoying it you know Um, but then what was weird was kind of came to the end of college uh, and it was like okay I got like a merit it wasn't like a great grade or anything it was just kind of average but I didn't put enough enough effort in looking back on it I kind of just kind of just I think a lot of people like that. You know what I mean? Looking back on it, man, it wasn't that great, but um, could have gone to uni. um, But I was just like, because I was a year behind because of the uh, because of the sixth form year, the flunk, the poker year, the gambling year, right? Because I was a year behind because of that shit. A lot of my mates were already in their first year of uni, right? So I'd just seen what that was, just like the first year hardly even counts to anything, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're in another place, which is which is sick, it's super fun. But for what I was trying to what I was trying to do career-wise, I knew it wasn't going to be good. Like, you're in another place far from home. I don't have these sixth form teachers or college teachers that are actually looking at me as like a small, as like a, a member of a small class and they're putting energy into you. Yeah. You'd be like in a, I just, I know that I would have just got lost in the kind of like going out, the party and all the distractions of it. I know that I wouldn't have sat well with me, you know? Yeah. Like it would have just kind of, I would have just gone off on a tangent. It would have been a bit of a waste of time, like a wicked time, but a bit of a waste of time. So I was like, what can I do? I knew I wanted to get into filmmaking, but I didn't really know how. And then just like randomly, I was gonna take a gap year to like make some money. Um, I was working as like a sales assistant at the time, like a retail shop. Um, And then I was at a christening and I randomly ran into a guy uh, that I used to play football with his sons. It's so random. And he was like, what are you doing? I said, this is what I'm trying to do. I don't really know how to get into it. And he co-owned a production company. It was called Mustard. It's It's not around anymore, but... Um, they're called Hunky Dory now, but he was uh, he was like um, uh, one of the co-owners at, at Mustard and like head of production there. And he was like, oh, well, you know, like this is what I do. So maybe you can come down as like a junior runner one day oh, man, and see how, yeah. see how it goes. I didn't know what the hell it was, but he yeah. was like, oh, you know, like we can't pay you the full rate because obviously you're just starting like as a junior runner. But like, because it's your first time, like maybe we could give you like a hundred pounds for the day, come down. And at the time, mate, I was like, thought that was busting my ass in air quotes for like 40 pound a day. And I was like, this guy's apologizing to me for a hundred pounds as like the most junior, do you know what I'm saying? So I thought, hold on a second. (laughs) I'm not saying that's straight face. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I'm not saying that's the case with, 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 
all filmmaking entry levels is going to be that amount of money. No, it is not. But with mm. advertising, it's quite like well paid if you're in the right in the right kind of like standards of commercials and shit. So that was a touch, and I was like, this is sick. So I went, didn't know what the hell I was doing. Some mental job. It was like a commercial for Flora, right? Yeah. But it had like two hundred and fifty extras. Yeah, they were all over fifty because it was like about like being good to your heart and stuff. They were all over fifty, and it was a boiling hot day. So I was literally just running back and forth, giving them waters and stuff. Yeah. But I just really enjoyed it. And then um, just from there, I met like a first AD that day that was like to me. Uh, I asked him like, "Listen, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I would love to get into this further." And he was like, oh, I'm at this diary service called Coolbox. You know, if you use my name as a reference, maybe they can like bring you on, get you some more work type thing. Yeah. Um, I was like, wicked. So now I called them. And at first they were trying to get me off the phone, man. Cause I didn't have experience. They were kind of trying to get me off the phone. <laughs> really? And as they were trying to get me off, I just like shouted his name. I just got, I just got like, so like desperate. I was like, Ugh! I just shouted his name to yeah. like, to let them know I knew this guy. And I said, oh, he gave me a reference. They were like, oh, okay, like he's one of the best here. Like, yeah, come in for a come in for a, a, a interview. It was not very formal. And I went in, really got on with them. They put me on their their, their service. I thought, right, I'm quitting my job. I, I don't need this job. Where this is what I'm doing. It was River Island, ah, so I was working right. as like a sales uh, like a sales assistant, uh, right? Floor, yeah, yeah. But I was like, right, this is what I want to do. This is sick. Like I'm ditching this job. I don't need this. Oh my god, the first three months were the driest three months ever. And my mum was looking at me like you quit this job, but what are you actually doing? Like, what are you actually doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm like almost waiting for them to call me, you know? Yeah, because sure. I had no experience and not really anything on my CV. Yeah. It wasn't really working, you know, like to begin with. So I was lucky I was at my mum's because if I wasn't, then I would have had to done other stuff and not been able to just try focus and break <clears throat> well, it's, it's a luxury to actually kind of be able to pursue something. For sure. We kind of take it for granted sometimes. For sure. I was, I was similar. I mm. started, you know, working for free. Uh, really putting yourself out there, mm. you kind of think you're, you know, really exerting yourself doing it, which you are. Mm. But at the same time, it is a luxury because there's so many people out there that are just for sure working a, a nine to five. They hate it, yeah. Uh, and in the evening they get home, they're too tired. In the weekend they just want to relax. Like you don't have time to really pursue something that you really definitely, want to do, man. Right? Definitely, and almost like as well, you're so right. And almost as well, I think it's like. The younger you can get into it on the whole, the better, because you're more likely to be at your parents. You're more likely to have a bit of support system going on, you know? Because um, like so many people, like like you just said, it's like that I've met like down the years that have tried to start off running or are running and their, their situations have been so much more peak than mine when I first started because they've just moved to London from even just even just being born here like yeah. is a touch in this industry like yeah. in this particular industry because you're near it all you don't have to leave your stability your shelter of your family life or whatever comforts that you would have had come to a new place and try to get a new job that that your rent is riding on now that's a different story because <laughs> when you're at home you can get four or five running jobs a month and be happy with that because you're just breaking in right like you said you can do free work you can do Man, you've got to be so much more hesitant with that with those shit. Those obligations when you're... On, underneath, over the top of you, like rent or that's what I'm saying. Kind of support a family or these food, things which, all that yeah. shit. Like that's that's a different ball game. And so I was you very can't lucky. really gamble with. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or you've got to do something alongside, and then that that brings further complications because mm. then what you're you're working, you're doing a side a, a part time um, job, say at a post office, for example, right? But then when you get called to do a shoot, you're going to want to ditch that. But then you might not be able to. Like, yeah. So it's, it's, it's complicated, man. And I've known a lot of people that have, that, have, that have tried and like failed with that because of those reasons. But then also I know, I do feel like it's the type of industry where if you want it bad enough, then you can, 
to make it work. You can make it work. Like. Yeah. But like I said, I was just very, very lucky that that was the case, you know. And just from there, just running, um, AD and eventually, but also, almost like literally like four or five months into it, I kind of realised I want to, I want to, I want to direct, you know. What, what about directing? What, what made you kind of look at it and fall in love with it? Mm. That's a tough one, man. Like, it was weird for me, like a, a like a sensory experience being on a big R set of like 40, 50 people. I always just pictured when you're watching something on TV, it's like there's the cameraman, there's the director, there's maybe a couple of people running around. Like I didn't really think there was such a massive operation. So when I first started, I really thought that like the first AD was a sick role because I always pictured in my head, it's the director saying action, it's the director saying you go there, you go there. And it's kind of like, a lot of it is from the director's vision, right? But the first AD is, I always say to people, it's like the first AD is like the general. Yeah, of, they, of they the look army. like the director. Exactly, on a big because set. they're the ones shouting yeah. action. They're the ones saying, you go over, you go. And they're the ones <laughs> running it all, you know? So yeah. that was like, that was sick. But then once I kind of looked at it further, I sponged it up and started seeing like a, like a different side to it and realizing that you can tell your own story as a director, you can you can come up with ways that you want to shoot things and just just kind of I don't know if there was a particular moment. It was just more so I wanted to be a, I wanted to do, do directing um, at college, and then it was just something that as I worked in the industry, there were so many different departments. I just wanted to learn what they were because yeah. they were just super interesting, you know, like things I'd never considered, like playback operator, DIT. Um, wardrobe stylist, makeup artist, everything like like art designer, set design, like art director. I mean, every, everything is so different. So I just wanted to soak that all up and talk to people about what they were doing and everything like that, and then kind of just weigh it up. But then ultimately, I came back to what I kind of started started it off wanting to do, you know. Um, and then yeah, the sick thing about that man was. I'd met so many amazing people in the UK, like commercial industry that liked me and helped me, man, because obviously there's loads of different ways to get into it, to make your own films, etc. But the, the, the great thing that I had to my advantage was when I decided I wanted to, to start making things, I'd, one, I'd seen it a lot of times of what you'd need. So location manager, you, all these people, you, you know you know what you need to make the cake. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? You're not just kind of coming at it skew if, even though you don't really know what you're doing when you're starting, you know what you need, right? And I was lucky enough to have people that bats me, believed in me and gave me their free time. And like, whether it was advice coming on set, like for free, bringing equipment, uh, helping me, vouching for me, giving me references. Like I, seriously, like even now, like, man, like I, I'm just still blown away and still I'm being helped now by a lot of people um, in terms of me, I might've had a grand, right? I'd say that grand and a half, whatever. Um, and then I'd do a project that looks to the outside eye like it was maybe 30, 40 grand, maybe 50 grand because of the people that came on board. You know what I'm saying? So even though like the directors usually get most of the credit and a lot of the time it's their idea and vision and shit, it's not, it's completely impossible without all of the other people. You're entirely reliant yeah. on, on others. For in, sure, in for sure, usually, man, yeah. for sure. And I think like, like, like um, the way that I like to work as well is like, is, is a more old school style of like, that's the art director, let them art direct, you know? Like, and like as a runner, what was sick was soaking it up. You see directors like, and all of these people are big directors, made it, whatever, doing their thing, 
clearly top of their game. But you learn things that you personally like as preference and that you don't like. So you watch how people talk to other people. And then how does that person now react to the way that they've been spoke to? Are they gonna are they gonna give more to this project or are they gonna be like, nah, fuck this guy? Do you know what I'm saying? And that's all formulating your kind of impression of For sure. everything. Yeah. Yeah. And how you wanna end up ultimately exactly. being seen and how you wanna be, right? And um and and one thing I ne one thing I just remember just obviously as a runner you're just a bystander, you're watching, you're soaking up. I just remember never liking it when directors like were too on top of the other departments. Like, yeah, make sure your vision is 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 coming together. And if you see something that doesn't suit that, don't obviously don't don't shy away from speaking up about it. Yeah. But ultimately, like the art director, they've got their own vision of what they're bringing to the table. You know, the makeup artists, they've got, they, all these people have amazing skills they're bringing to the table. It's a collaboration. So perfect, perfect word. So you've got to let these people shine in their own way as well. So that's why I try to give people a sense of what's going on, a looser brief. But then I also say, you know, in that area, do your thing or show me, show me what you think. Um, and I prefer it that way. And I think yeah. people shine a lot better that way because then they can flex themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So you kind of went into assistant directing. Yeah, went um, into assistant directing for a little bit. As um, a, what, as a second AD or how did it work? Yeah, like, so it's a tough one, man, because with running in, in commercials, what's tough is, man, the AD system is kind of like, if you're a first, yes, please, mate. If you're a first AD, thank you. Cheers, man. Okay. If you're a first AD, yeah. the way that it works is, you'll have a go-to second assistant director, sure. maybe a go-to third. And third ADs on commercials, it's kind of different to TV. It's like third ADs with commercials is mainly just like uh, signing extras in, taking care of background action, stuff like that. Um, but you'd have your go-tos, right? And you'd also have your go-to runners as a first AD that you kind of love, bring on every job. Yep. So what's super tough as a runner, if you really want to be an AD, and a lot of runners, that's the route they want to take because almost it's kind of like the, it's like the normal route that a lot of runners would take. They'd be runner, then they'd be third AD, second AD, first. Like, and that would be kind of their goal, you know? Um, which is sick, but it's quite difficult because you're talking about people, and this is a long game. A lot of people have been in this industry. When they're like 40, 50, they've been in there for like 30 years, 35 years. So say you're a runner, you're 20 years old, for example. You run five years, you're 25. In normal, in a lot of normal other um, places of work, five years, you're gonna get a bump up, right? You're gonna might, might be like an assistant manager, then you might blah, blah, blah. It doesn't work like that in the film industry. It's like, it depends on so many things. And a lot of it usually depends on other people moving up. So if that third AD you're behind or that second AD doesn't want to be a first assistant director, because a second AD, like that's a that's a sweet job in its own right. You so know you what get I mean? This backlog of people not wanting to really, I didn't know that. Yeah, that 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 can fully happen. I like you get career just second AD. Mad dash to get to either sort of first mm. or, or nah, director. Nah, nah, nah. So like that happens a lot. Like 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 I said, second AD is like is like a wicked job in its own right, and a lot of people are career, you call it a career second. So if you if you if you're in a situation where you're you're sweet as a runner, you're getting five day five shoots a week, you're chock a block, sick, wicked, great for you. But there comes a time where you want more. You want to, you know, what I mean, like anyone, you want to yeah. move up. You want to, you've got your skill set now. You want to move into where you want to go. And for those people, if they're unfortunate to be in a situation where, yeah, they're getting loads of work from this first assistant director, but they have a second AD that they've been working for 10 plus years and that second AD is a, is a career second. Now, what are you going to do? 
Because that's your guy you've been working for for a long time. You might not have many other connections as first ADs that you can be their second AD. And then it's like, where do you kind of go? Yeah. And like so many of my friends that are that are runners, man, like they've they've come, run into that frustrating cycle like so many times and all of them are more than capable. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but what's quite good about the way the industry is going now is younger people are getting a chance. So like even as even as as um as long ago as maybe eight years when I first started, like back then, you would never really see people that were very young in positions of power or like HODs. It was quite yeah, like sure. a rare thing. Yeah, Whereas yeah. now I see it a lot more, which really? is great. So people that have the skills can be like, you know what? I want to be a first AD. I'm going to start first in for free on music videos. I'm going to start putting myself out there as a first AD. I'm going to start seeing myself that way. I'm going to start offering my services up. And you've got to be smart because again, there's a little bit of, it's a little bit of blackballing going on as well because if you think about it, it's not just in the AD department, it's in the camera department, it's in a lot of different departments, right? Think about it. If I'm a if I'm a runner or I'm a camera trainee, for example, I, I'm a, or I'm a, a clapper load or whatever, but I have the skills to be able to be not an amazing one, but a budding DOP or a budding first AD. Now the person that you like, that you, you had a lot of time for, you're almost like your master in the situation that you've been learning from, they might discover that you're trying to be a first AD or they might discover you're trying to be a DOP, right? Yeah. That's their job. Now that's a, and they've been learning your tricks of the so trade. You go from apprentice to competition. Exactly. Overnight. But then in that process, what's tough, Max, is in that process, right? If you're a budding DOP, you need your clapper load of work to keep going. If you're a budding first AD, you need your runner work to keep going for money, right? Mm. But if these people that have been giving you those opportunities now find out that you're trying to do what they're doing, unfortunately, not all of them, but unfortunately, some of them are going to close that vessel now. And that will make it, a it'll either make you more desperate to do what you're trying to do, or it will make you not be able to do it. Man, that could be terminal for a career. There you go. Yeah. So it's understandable, but it's deep. And that's what I mean. It's not like, it's not just like a normal <laughs> job where it's like, I do this for this long, and yeah, then I do yeah, this. Yeah. Like, I remember like running into one of my friends, yeah. Um, uh, and she was working, where was, I think she was working at Nando's or something. And we were just, we was chatting. And she's like, oh, what are you doing now? And I started running when I was like 19. And I think I, this was like, maybe like four years ago. And I was like 24, 20, 23. And she was like, oh, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm still running, like doing a bit of it. She was like, still running? But she doesn't know this industry, but she was like, still running. I was mm. like, yeah, like, you know, you do have no idea like how this goes, you know? Because people can think, oh, you're just doing that or what, you haven't moved up yet. But it's a very, very kind of like- It's completely different. It's a standalone yeah. industry, like in, in that regard, you know? Mm. Um, but that was the good thing with directing was I felt like with directing, no director gives me work, which was a touch. No, I'm not stepping on anybody's toes because they're, they're not- they're not even in my in my jurisdiction. They're not really crew. They are, but they're not in a way, you know? Um, so what was good about that was I could continue to work as a runner and as an AD without that kind of, like, like I said, the backlash of anything. And also a lot of people um, uh, were, were helping me out, man, were helping me make stuff. And I always like, it's so easy as well. Like, I know I'm babbling on a bit, but it's so easy as well to kind of think like, I want to be a director. So many people say they want to be a director, right? But the answer that you should get back from that and what I used to get from a lot of crew is like, what have you made? I'm like, uh, nothing. I've got these ideas though. And they're like, yeah, but what have you made? Nothing. How is anybody gonna hire and pay you to do something 
that you can't prove that you can do that you've never actually physically done exactly sit, mate, yeah. but but then but then the the, the 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 kind of dilemma comes in you're never you're not going to get paid for it to begin with you have to just make things that's it and get better you know mate, and eventually yeah, it's, it's it all comes some people don't really understand sometimes for sure and that's um, why if you if you don't really love it mm. you you will not you will not make it to a point where you're going to be able to do it as a job because the amount of effort and the stress and it's, you have to do it for the love to begin with, to get yeah. good films to begin with, you know, unless you're like fortunate enough to come out of film school, like win a couple of awards on like the uni circuit, you know, and then get signed. It's very rare though. Yeah. Rare, exactly, rare. But, but unless no. you're going to do it that way, yeah. there's no way you're going to just be like, oh, I want to be a director exactly. like, and just jump into it. People say, I, mean? I want to be a director, I want to be a DP, I want to be a, a producer, you know, whatever. But you have to do something for free for quite a while before someone's going to pay you to do it. For sure. Is, you know, kind of what you're saying. For sure, man. Yeah. Exactly. And like I said, it's like, it, it's a love thing to begin with because there's there's no way you're going to be going broke, going in the red zone because a lot of the, the money is coming from your own pocket or you might be borrowing it from whoever, parents or whatever, you know, friends to, to make your films. Like... If you don't believe in them, you're not you're not going to be doing all that. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to see them through. You're not going to be asking all the favors that you need. Um, so, and that that was kind of like further proved to me as I went along. Like I wouldn't be doing all this crazy shit if I if I didn't no. know for sure this is what I want to do. You know. I think also just touching on that kind of doing it for free thing. I think passion is somewhat of a currency mm. when it comes to our field. Mm. I if you called me up on a Sunday or a Saturday and told me I'm shooting something down the road six o'clock tomorrow morning, I'd go because I know yeah. how much you love doing what you do. Mm. And I know it's going to be something f cool. Mm. I know, you know it's worth my time mm. uh, and it's, you know, it's because of the love. And I, I've got quite a few directors that I sort of do behind the scenes photography or That's stuff. Sick. All, I've stuff seen some of those photos. Hours, weekends, you know, but if you know they have the passion, you don't mind doing it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Was it with Harvey you do a lot of that stuff, right? Joe Harvey, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also Harry Reevely as well. Right, so done, done a few of his shoots. So lots of early starts. Uh, but you don't mind. Dope. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's still dark. It's half five. You're on a fucking car park roof in Dagenham. Like... <laughs> But what else are you going to do with your Sunday, you know what I mean? For sure, man, for sure. And people, people that are in it understand it. Other people are like, what? <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Are you getting like, paid? Oh my God, bro, like, just that's just a reminder to me. Yeah, the amount of my friends. So like, like I said, like with commercials, not in all areas of film and TV, but with commercials, if you're a runner and you're busy, you're getting paid nice. Like you're getting paid nice. If you're, if you're, you have to, but I have to put up with a lot of shit, but you're getting paid nice, right? Um, as a young person, especially in London, like you, you, you you're kind of good but <laughs> when your friends might start seeing that right and thinking oh this looks like quite a calm job you get x amount per day oh okay this is cool and the amount of my boys that have been like to me oh yeah can you maybe like try to get me in on something like a short film or i don't mind doing it for free or whatever yeah and oh my days there might it's probably <laughs> been about five or six people that i've brought in and like you said is it's all people think that it's like some glamorous thing until they're on set at five thirty, trying to label radios and getting shouted at because someone doesn't have their decaf Earl Grey, and then they're like, "What the fuck am I doing? I don't want to do this." Like I brought people on short films like two days into it, they're like, "Otis, I'm sorry, man, I actually can't do this. Really? I don't want you to pick me up at five thirty tomorrow." 
I, I, I can't blame them. Do you know what I mean? Because you don't really, you don't yeah. really know what you're getting into until you're in it, and then until you realize. Because a lot of people just think it's like, oh, glitz, glam, whatever. No. And there's parts of it that are like that, but on the whole, it's it's tough, man. It's there's tough like else. I'd say twenty percent glitz mm. to eighty yeah. percent hard work. Else. Hard work, yeah. just long days for sure. One more take. But like you said, though, man, like that, like even like you said, that rooftop in Dagenham, like six a.m. I bet there was something beautiful about that, and that's there like was, man. that's yeah. what I mean. Like there's there's always, but you're just by being there, you're seeing things that you would never have seen mm. if you just stayed in bed. Like, For sure, just standing there, For not sure. doing anything, let alone interacting with the other crew, let alone meeting the dancers, let alone you know taking the, the stills and mm. all this kind of stuff, like. Yeah, no, it's just a great environment to be in. Even, for sure, man, you know. for sure. It's like a massive, like, it's like camaraderie, everything you just said. And then, and getting that shot, like getting that shot. And there might be multiples of that shot, but that's, there's nothing quite like that, man. Like, and, and that, I feel like with filmmaking in particular, like with photography as well, but with filmmaking in particular, I always like that, like, whatever you're filming and what you're making, there's there's a result there's a there's a finality to it like you can take a film that you shot in 2014 and you can say that is a product of my hard work at the time my, you might hate it but still it's there product of your hard work at the time your writing efforts your creativity all the amazing crew you had around you everything you did the favors you pulled whatever that's a product of that time and you have that forever and i love that because there's not many jobs where you can literally dream up anything that you that you think you could think of like flamingos exploding over a rip. like if you had if you you could have mental mental ideas right <laughs> you could have these crazy ass ideas honestly you can have these crazy ideas that you could you could literally dream and you can make as cheesy as it sounds you can make those dreams or nightmares or whatever visions you've had in your head a reality on screen now there's nothing else in the world where that that's the case no literally nothing no you transferring I mean? ideas into a format yeah a hundred percent. And especially nowadays, like in the present day, there's really, really, really not that many limitations of what you can translate to screen with the right help of VFX or edit or location or whatever. Do whatever you want. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I love about it, man. And every, everything's different. You're not, a, you're not in the same place every day. You're meeting new people. You're in new that's environments. That's what I enjoy. Yeah. Really what I enjoy one of the best things about, yeah, working in this industry is just the variation. Mm. I've never really had a, I mean, I had some sort of, you know, pretty mundane jobs when I was a kid. My mm. first job was in a chip shop. Four, four days a week down at Mario's, mate. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it's all right. Like, I was only 17 or something. Um, but yeah, I was, I was doing it with one of my best mates who I, I still, he's my best mate now. Mm. Um, and it's fun. Like, but it teaches you hard graft like to sort of just go there and, and work in the you know really hot conditions in front of an oil fryer taking, yeah, taking yeah. orders using tills just kind of losing your mind a little bit but working really hard Some, through, yeah. sometimes it will fly by sometimes mm -hmm. you get two customers in like a <laughs> five and a half hour shift and you're there just looking out the window just at the petrol station it's like yeah, yeah. zoning out um but i think having having one of those jobs where you get paid shit and you have to work physically really hard is mm. important because mm. then you value. Mm. Then I got my job at uh, Sky mm. as a runner and I'd get paid like £100 a day to go down to like a rugby ground and make teas and coffees for, for the production team in, in, the, um, 
in the television trucks and stuff. Yeah. And it was like, fucking hell, I can't believe they're paying me this much. This is cosy, like, yeah, yeah, I get Watch you. rugby on the TV. For like. sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, was, I hear you, man. I hear was, you. But I wouldn't have... We used to get, like, work experience people in there and they'd be some relative of one of the big wigs and it would just be, like, some person on their phone and they're not interested and they're, like, still getting paid, like, £100, £150. Mm. Just didn't care because they've never had to have like a shit job yeah yeah like they don't know what a good job is no i hear that in in it's still relative i suppose of course of course no but, but i completely hear you man it's what, like it's yeah. it, I, I completely hear that and also it's like it's like you said man you, you've got you've got to have that kind of job even like some days like you can probably attest to as well like some days that's with running as well you get you get some mad days, but then when you get past that that kind of obstacle and you move on into the direction that you want to go, whether that's in producing, whether that's art directing, whatever directing, then you really, really appreciate it. Especially when you've <laughs> when you've done something for a long time, a lot a time like a time that you wouldn't. You're very lucky to have that job. Don't get me wrong, but I'm saying when you've done it for a long time, you want to move on and you're kind of stuck for a little bit, mm -hmm. and you grind it out anyway. Then when you make it out of that spot you always like you have a different appreciation because you haven't just been given it you know like you feel like you've, you've earned it you know yeah what do you think your biggest break was uh what was your biggest opportunity that you made full use of do you know what i'd say um there's two like for different reasons like the first one i mentioned um there was me and my friend, Erin. This is not so much of like a break in like the industry type thing, but this was like a real, this was like a game changer in terms of like visual style and the way that we put a film together, you know, and kind of like started creating like the type of things that I wanted to do. Um, me and my friend, Erin, she had like a, a footwear collection that she was doing as part of like her, her like final year at uni. And, um, and it was, she just had like a few sample pairs of, of this footwear. Um, but I really liked the idea behind them. Uh, and we ended up making like, almost like a fashion piece for, for that footwear. It's called Pulling and Parting. And it was kind of like mixed format, had some really cool people in there, like the meaning behind the shoes. It was like, the shoes were like, almost like the similar consistency to like Afro hair. So they could be like manipulated in the same way. Like you could like cane row these shoes, you could put them in bunches. Like they were just mad, like they were out there. And I really, really liked the, the kind of meaning behind them. Um, and that, we worked on that for like three months, like getting it right, shot it over like four weekends. Everyone worked for free. Like there was basically no money. Like me and Aaron probably like halved it down the middle of like putting our own money into it. Um, but I had so many people come out for us. We had studio, we had crane to do some shots. Like we, it was mad. Like we had, so we're shooting on 16 mil for free. Like pretty much had to pay for the rolls, but all the equipment, we were getting deluxe packages from camera houses because people are like passion, like, was oozing, you know what I mean, to make this film. Again, that passion currency. Yeah, for sure. And people, people could feel yeah, that, you know, yeah. and people could feel that even though I hadn't done amazing stuff before, and I've done some cool stuff, like people could feel feel it, you know, and that was, I, I loved that. So like in terms of like style and like one of my favorite films and pieces in terms of a break, that was, that was one of those. But in terms of like in the actual industry of commercial filmmaking, um, it's got to be the the Nike City of Nations piece that we did here, because the 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 kind of the circumstances of which that came about was mad. Like 
I remember, so one of the guys, I can't remember who exactly was gonna direct it originally. It's gonna be our friend Harry. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, I'm not but, sure what happened to him, but he, he dropped out. Where were you, man? But um, <laughs> <laughs> so, something happened with that, right? And I think it was like, I think it was six days before. Was, six days it was, before. It was fucking close. Something like yeah. that, right? Um, and, uh, but it was the best thing to happen for me because you, I remember you called me and I was on a job and I think I was second in, or, or I think I was second in on a job and you gave me the call and you said, we've got this thing um, coming up. It's in six days, but it's with Nike, it's with this charity called Football Beyond Borders. Uh, like, I'm not too sure if like what you'd think, but would love to see like, if you'd be up for it. And I was like, hell yes. And I remember hanging up the phone and basically jumping up and down on set, like, come on, man, like, let's get this. And then it just went from strength to strength, like met with Jasper from FBB uh, with you oh. and me and him really clicked as well. And it, I feel like the direction of which it was going before, it kind of altered a little bit, like because of the conversations that we'd had, you know, and also yeah. the fact that, um, the fact that a lot of what it was about and the kids that were in it, I could relate to so much because I've grown up in London, like Northwest London, playing football, Absolutely, you know what I mean? Yeah. Be like being mixed race, having different nationalities in me as well. So that project was all about the World Cup, uh, these kids being from different places it's originally. Like duality of pride, wasn't it? Exactly, it man. Like, like with London and London, their team. But my heritage as well. Yeah, exactly. Was, oh, mate, I, I do love that piece. It was sick, so man. Good. So that was a, and the fact that it was six days, and I remember you guys had so much other stuff that you were trying to do as well. It wasn't like a big budget or anything, but like, like bringing, and as well, it was quite cool because even though I hadn't known you guys that long, you knew me long enough to trust me of like bringing in my own team and doing it how I kind of like saw fit. And that was like, that made it a lot easier to get things in place that we wanted to get in place. And then I had like Aira come down, the DOP, Aira Win jones little shout out, she's sick. <laughs> she came on board uh, and brought some contacts as well and helped out a lot. And she believed in it as well. And we worked with the kids from FBB. And that was just sick, man. Like even just thinking back on it now, it was just wicked. It was really clear cut of what I felt like, what I, how I wanted it to be. And then it exceeded that because of the, the amazing kids that were involved, you know? And then seeing that like play in Nike Town, I think it played in Nike Town for like a month during the, the campaign. And yep. I got told by some of the kids that I actually played in different parts of Europe, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> But that was a mad experience. Coming to Oxford Square, Oxford Circus, coming off the tube, coming up and seeing your film play on a big ass screen and seeing those kids be empowered like that as well. That was mad. Was and what man. that did for everyone, like in terms of football beyond borders, even like Nike when we had that screen and the people that came down from there, like, because people didn't expect a mass, like it to be what it was mm. because it was like a smaller budget project, whatever. The fact that it came out the way it did that was by far like the biggest break in terms of like it. opportunities and people from them thinking, oh shit. Cause a lot of it, you know what it's like, especially on social media, people, sometimes they don't see the whole project like they should. They just see Nike. Mm. Oh, he just did something for Nike. He must be, be able to do this. Do you know what I'm saying? Unfortunately, but fortunately in some ways, that's how people see things. So when you start working for certain companies or certain organizations, whatever that have that, have that attached to them, you know that going forward, hopefully people will now trust you with mm. other projects and, and give you more opportunities because you did that. You of course. Know? I think one of the nicest things about that piece was how natural all the people featured seemed, all the kids. You know, they just, there was none of that kind of on camera awkwardness. There was, it was really sort of uh, natural, um, which um, that is one of the first jobs we did with you. 
and we kind of saw your ability to develop a near immediate rapport with people uh, and develop these kind of relationships so quickly. What, what's, what's your kind of secret behind that? Like what, what do you think it is that makes you enjoy that environment so much mm. and just people just kind of open up to you and really enjoy just like being part of the project, being, you know, around you, being on set, everything. Like, what do you, what do you think it is? No, I find it's a lot of that, bro. Do you know what? It's weird, right? Like my mum always said to me from when I was like 15, 16, she was like, son, like one of the biggest gifts you have, you might not see it now, but it's your way with people. And like, she was like, I don't know what you're going to end up going to, I don't know what you're going to end up doing, but I know that that's going to like play a part, you know? And, um, and at the time it was like, I kind of, my mum's like a very like complimentary person. I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, all right, mum. <laughs> but now I do see it because in so many different scenarios, especially like with people that might be uncomfortable or not used to a certain uh, situation, I always kind of get off uh, to a good start with them. And I just try to, I just try to be myself with them and try to take it out of some really strict, like stiff professional environment and just talk to people as people to begin with. I don't try to kind of come in and just be like, hey, so what we're doing is you're going to be there and the camera's here. Because especially with those those kids from that charity as well, they none of them had actually been on camera before. So it was more so just about talking to them. All of them, I spoke to them first just on a level and just chatted to them a bit about them and just got to know them as people. Um, and just introduce them to the crew as well so that they weren't just like, who the hell is that with a big microphone boom over my head? Like, what the hell is going on? Because as a 15-year-old, I would have froze up myself. And they were amazing the way that they that they kind of responded to that, you know? And like, it's just, I think it's just, um, it's just patience. And also just, I just love people, man. I, like, that just sounds so cheesy. Like, but I, I, I just love people. Like, I love being around people. I love like, that everybody's different. Everyone has uh, different things they bring to the table, different opinions. Um, and I just, especially like when it comes to directing, I just like to to develop a little relationship with somebody first before we start. Obviously, sometimes you can't do that. When you've got big talent or big artists yeah. or whatever, you just have the time you have, right? But those people, they have the skills to be able to just turn it on like that. Um, but whenever I have the time, if I do have it, I just like to get to know someone first. And then that helps both of you because they, they feel more comfortable around you. And then you also know what to kind of expect from them. Don't, you're not going to put them in a situation where you don't feel like they're going to be able to, to, to perform or they're going to feel awkward. Cause you kind of, even if it's a five, 10 minute conversation, you kind of gauge a little bit mm -hmm. what, what it's going to be like, you know? Fantastic. Yeah, man. So that's, that's pretty much it, man. It's weird because like when you ask me, it's like, I have to actually think about it, but really it's just something that's, I've just been very lucky. It's always kind of just come naturally to me. Just, just, yeah, just talking to people and, and I'm always interested. I feel like that's, that's the thing. I don't try to pretend that, oh, that, that I care or pretend that I'm interested for the sake of like gain. Of like I'm genuinely interested what that person is. What are they, what are they like doing? Where are they from? You know what I mean? People like, can tell that. People can tell where the difference between someone like you who's um, genuinely interested and someone else who's kind of glazed over and they're just waiting for their chance to talk again. Mate, <laughs> yeah. I was saying that to one of my boys the other day. It's like, like you just said, there's such a difference for somebody that's actually listening or like you said, just waiting. Oh my God, just waiting <laughs> to talk or waiting for an opportunity to say what they want to say. Like, And you can, like you said, you can feel that, right? So that's probably it, man. Well, I'm glad your biggest break is uh, something to do with us as Jeez. well, mate. I'm, it's nice to nice to hear, actually. 
Because it's, it's been a bit of a sort of crazy time since then, actually. We've done a, f- a few course. jobs together, haven't we? Yeah, man. We've done done a couple of jobs here. It's been sick. There was another, there was another like, wicked opportunity as well. Not so much like a break, but it was a, it was dope. Like, um, uh, with a, a company called Armory that I'm, that I'm, that I'm signed to represented by. We did a piece of Koji Radical, which was sick. Um, and that was like the first kind of like commercial that I'd done that was just super abstract out there. It was all like spoken word. It didn't necessarily, it kind of made sense in its own way. This is the three part. This was the three yeah, part thing, right? Yeah, was there was to do with the this. illustrations yeah, and stuff, really right? Cool, um, thanks, bro. Yeah. So that was dope. And like, yeah, working with Koji was sick as well. And just, yeah, just having the kind of freedom um, with the agency as well, got on really well with like the creatives there and just, just smashing that out was sick as well. That was cool. Let's quickly do your biggest clanger. So biggest clanger. We all know you're a creative genius, mate. <laughs> we all know everyone loves you on set. But when has shit really hit the fan? <laughs> oh my god, where the hell do I start? <laughs> There's a couple of stories here, man. There was, there was one. I'm gonna tell you one that was a super near miss. Yeah, that was. Oh my god! So basically, I was do, I was I was a third AD, and I was just like getting like a couple of little opportunities as a third AD from being a runner, right? So like level up from a runner, and your job is literally you're signing in extras, you're signing them out, right? And you're you kind of tell them where they need to be at what times, and make sure you're not losing any of them, having the, having account of them, etc. I had eighty extras, I think, on this job, right? So it's quite a big job. At 80, 80 extras, and the direct, the director, I'm not going to name his name, but the director um, was like a, a much older gentleman and he was very, very old school. Like I'm talking about like him and the first AD were on radios because we were shooting like in an area where they couldn't be near each other to be on camera. Yeah. And he was like asking the extras to do stuff. And my man was saying things like, the Chinese girl looks too stiff. She needs to do this. And it's like, the woman's not Chinese. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, that yeah, kind of, yeah, it was yeah. literally like, oh my God, this guy is like pain, painfully screaming. old school. Like he didn't even care that anyone could hear him. Oh. Anyway, so I I knew I could not fuck up on this job, right? I just knew, cause I was, I would, I'd be getting roasted, right? So the whole day has gone really smoothly, blah, blah, blah. I think 20 extras have been asked to go home. We've got 60 left, yeah? Mm-hmm. 60 left, okay? Now, I get told by, I think, the second AD or the first AD, okay, uh, the director has, uh, he said that we only need, we only need uh, 14, 14 extras. We only need 14 extras to take to the next location, right? Because we're doing a last scene somewhere else, we only need 14 extras. That's all we need. So release the rest. So that's sweet. So I counted out, say there's 60. So I counted out, what's my shit, man? 46 people, yeah. right? 46 people released. See you later, you're done, right? And they, they were just getting paid for their day. So it wouldn't, we wouldn't have cost any more to keep them, but we didn't need to keep them apparently. So these people go. Then 14 comes to the next location, right? So the scene starts, I've got them like sat on a bus, like just in a holding area, waiting to like see who'd be used type thing. Then somebody comes up to me, I think it was the PM and was like, oh, Otis, um, uh, you've got those 40 extras on the bus, right? And I was like, I put it in my head, 40? Because <laughs> I've got 14, and that's what I'm thinking in my head, yeah? I'm like, I'm like, 40. She, and she was like, yeah, because the director is like, like, being very specific, he wants 40. Like, he wanted 40 for this occasion. And I, I'd, mate, I'm not going to lie. At that point. I'm thinking to myself, 
do I lie? Do I just hope? I was like, <laughs> do I lie? Do I, hope? I, I just, I just said, I just said, yeah, 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 no worries. Cause as a run, you just always know, you just try to kind of try to just say yes. You want, you want to be honest later. when you have to be honest, be honest. But until the shit is the fan, just try to protect yourself a bit. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, yeah, we're good. So I'm like, okay. So we reached the last scene. Sweating now. at this point. Now, 100%. Yeah. Then the first of these, like, Raiders me. Right. Otis, uh, we need the first four extras to come to set. Okay, I'll take four. So now I've got nine left on the, on the bus, yeah? Mm-hmm. Take the four there. Okay, sweet. Thinking, please just need that four. But I'm thinking, they're going to want more. <laughs> Otis, yeah, go ahead. Okay, we need another two extras on set. So I'll take another two. Now I've got seven left, right? Otis... <laughs> five extras oh, no. I'll tell you five. I have two left on the bus. I'm like, if they literally just ask me for three, then I just look like a toolbox. Because it's a massive set as well, loads of people, whatever. And it's just, I just know from those experiences, you'll get blasted in front of everyone. Whatever. Of course. Literally, I'm waiting like, I'm fucked. And I was saying, I was saying to the runners like, yo, <laughs> just, just be prepared. Like, I'm going to get bollocks. Like, this is going to be a bit of a shit show. As I'm as I'm thinking like they're gonna say right like let's get some more people I just said ladies and gentlemen that is a wrap and I was like what amen oh. amen I, you never see me get people out of there so quickly as I got those people <laughs> after um, but that was a, like very near like fuck up but like other times just little things like. When I first started, I didn't really know like the, the etiquette. And this is just like a common sense thing. So this is not even an excuse, but like handing like a hot coffee, like over like a 50 grand. Mixing desk and all that. No, 50 what, grand anything. camera. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And someone just basically just grabbed my wrist, pulled it to the side and just looked at me and said, don't ever do that again. But that's you know a, I mean? it's a lesson you need to be taught once. You need to be taught and you need yeah. to be told sternly. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Or leaning things on shit or sitting on stuff you shouldn't be sitting on. To be fair, like, like it know? can be a bit cutthroat in, in that environment. Other situations where it was like maybe not, maybe not um, absolute clangers, but just mate, just ro- some rough times, man. Like, oh my god, one time I was doing like a Ben and Jerry's ad as a runner, yeah, and they're trying. It's all like super high speeds, so super slow motion, and it's a, there's a shot where they want the ice cream to be fl- flicked at a piece of glass on the camera, but they couldn't get the ice cream to fly through the air properly. Just, just weird, weird, weird problem solving, right? Me and the runner are sat near the coffee table, not sat, but like making coffee, right? The focus puller comes over to the coffee table. This isn't a studio. Comes over to the coffee table with a big scoop of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Mm -hmm. My man pulls the spoon back and flicks a huge scoop at the wall, yeah? Watches the scoop slide down the wall and goes, (laughs) guys, I think I've got it. And he goes, yeah, cheers, lads. Like, looked at us, not even joking, cheers, lads. Like, as in, like, you'll clean that up and walked away. Me and everyone looked at each other and just laughed. Because I've been running at that point by, like, four, for four years. I was oh, like, you're all- I'm not cleaning that, man. I was no. like, forget. Crap, <laughs> 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 like, just somebody, like, just just thinking like they can, you know what I mean? I know. Madness. No, that's fucking pretty Mate, there, there's been some crazy ones, man. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. We're, we're, like, in that regard, you know, like, as a runner, just the times you have to bite your tongue. I've had, like... Tea flicked, like somebody like tried to flick tea in my face as a joke in air I remember you telling me about that. And I had to just kind of just, but like I said, if I was further in my career, even as a runner, you know the lines, you know, at the beginning, you don't really know them. Um, But there was another time, this is funny. There was a time (laughs) we were working on this job and, um, and, uh, and there was loads of extras. It was me and my boy, Dan, right? We used to run together quite a lot. And um, there was about 40 extras. This is a while ago. It was about 40 extras, but it was all like a party scene. So it was all like young people around our age, whatever. And so we were like getting on with people, whatever. And um, there was a part where 
they were drinking water in between takes, but obviously we had to clear the water during the takes. So we were clearing the water during the takes. Now, we got sent out by our first AD for something. So he sent us out. Then, while we're out, he starts calling for us. Like, Daniel, Otis, where are you? I need these waters, like, collected. And we're like, well, you've just sent us for, like, a piece of equipment or whatever. Yeah, like, sure. We're coming in now type thing. So we're coming in with this piece of equipment, put, like, put it down as he's collecting the bottles. Like, oh, I'll, I'll collect them myself then. As he's collecting the bottles, he goes, wait a minute. What? Why am I barking? I've got two dogs. Otis, Daniel. No. <laughs> Mate, I was literally, and oh. like I said, 40 people around your age looking at you, like what are you gonna, how are you gonna react? How are you gonna, and just having to walk on set like you're actually these effing dogs and be like. No, but, but, like, but listen. The biggest thing is on him though, surely. Of course. Someone that, yeah. Of course, but like just the, just the fact that someone had that power of you, yeah. even though, listen, I love this guy that did that. Like I love him like an uncle, yeah, that I never had. But, <laughs> but those situations, you just walk on and he could just tell by the look on my face, like, don't ever. <laughs> ever say that again you're giving the death stare mate literally because like situations like that like I said then people around you kind of like ooh like the extras they're like ooh yeah, like you got you know what I mean so like I said man it comes it comes with this like ups and downs but you just need to know when you need to know when enough is enough really that situation probably should have said listen man I'd appreciate you don't talk to me like that yeah. I'm doing my best I always say that to people whenever like I chat to runners that maybe because I didn't really get a hard time because I'd always give it back yeah. it's a situation on set where if you don't give it back you're going to get it more right yeah. like so with everybody because you're new you'll be like it's carrying like tees and someone like exactly. anywhere yeah. you'll be carrying tees and someone say what's the time you're there like <laughs> I can't like turn your wrist over do you know what I mean like people love that shit so if you give it back people kind of clock okay he or she is not really going to have it like in a funny way and they're not really going to try to give it to you so much right sure. but I'd always say to people that maybe got it a bit more like there's nothing nothing wrong or rude or like job threatening about you saying listen I'm doing the not. best I'm doing yeah. I'd appreciate it if you don't speak to me in that manner because I find it disrespectful whatever yeah. if you handle it that way no one can say you were rude there's no flaw there's no flaw no. and people have to respect what you're saying it doesn't yeah. matter who you are what what hierarchy system because it's a bit like the army the way that the hierarchy system you approach is, it you know? on a basic human level yeah for you're sure you're not the boss I'm not the runner we're just two people yeah don't talk to me like I'm a fucking yeah idiot. exactly but like like I said it's the way you say it you always yeah. I always feel like like bring it back to that like like the way you talk to people it's like you kind of gotta sometimes you gotta give people a bit of room as an escape route or like let them say face a bit you know like it's when you come completely hard at people. Sometimes people need to just get completely put get completely put on them. But other times, you give someone a little bit of room to say face where they can apologize and yeah. it be done rather than you just attacking, you know? Like that's 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 usually in our industry anyway, the better way to handle things. In terms of current events with the Black Lives Matter movement, as a person of color, have you ever I mean my first question is do you think you faced extra challenges mm. um, in the industry when you were kind of, you know, working your way in? Do you, do you know what, mate? I feel like, um, I feel like, I was saying this to Dave the other day, like, in my experience, I feel like it's more, it, it's, it's, it's more difficult to break in as a black person, as an Asian person, like, but specifically, like, yeah, talking about black people, mixed race people, like, it's more difficult to, to, to break in because there's been, there's been, like, a system that may not be 
as consciously put in place now, right, in the film industry, in the commercials industry, but was before. So like when I first started, I realized very quickly that eight times out of 10, I'll be the only person that's not white on set. Do you know what I mean? Really? Um, 100%. And it would almost be like a joke. Like if, if, I, if I was on set with another black person or even two, then we'd almost like take a selfie together, like, geez, like like half half of the half of the industry right here. Almost jokingly, but like that was that's how obvious it was, you know? Um and no one like I said, specifically the UK commercial industry, because I can't talk to like the feature film industry, because I've only done a couple of those. So but I know that it's similar, but I'm not gonna talk to what I know, you know. Um so that's that's always kind of been the case. And I always thought, why, why the hell is this? And just speaking to people, black, the few black people that I know in the UK commercial industry, but also white people and, and them talking about friends that they had that, that maybe dropped out of the industry, right? It's not so prevalent now, like these same situations, but, but it is to a certain degree. Like for example, I was talking to a script supervisor, right? She's been working in the industry for like 30, 40 years. She said she had an assistant in the 80s that was going to work as an assistant script supervisor with her on a feature film. And she was going to be on it for like two, three months throughout the whole shoot. She was a black girl. She came on set. The first thing that happened when she came on set was like the riggers were making monkey sounds to her from the Roth. From the, from when the, was it? From the Roth. This was like um, early 80s, like Jesus. late 70s. Yeah. Um, and they were making like subtle monkey noises to her, right? And the uh, script was like, just ignore them type thing. Like they're just idiots or whatever. So she came, she's like, I think this girl was maybe like 20, 21 something. She came, um, tried to ignore it, whatever. That was that. Uh, was like really good at what she was doing. Blah, blah, blah. It was maybe like a friend's daughter, the script supervisor who took her on. Um, and then I think the next day, might be getting the details wrong, but the next day uh, she came to work again had a good morning then at lunch she went to lunch she came back and on her like notes her script notes was bananas right so like she said to the script supervisor listen I can't really I, I just can't do this like I'm not and 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 she said that she would have been promising she really enjoyed what she was doing that's just a small example I'm not generalizing here but that's a small example of how people that 10 20 30 years ago like in this case like 34 years ago if the, nobody knows what what um, ripple effect that yeah, woman yeah, may yeah. have had on the industry, she could have brought in nephews, she could have brought in friends that are just like, it goes without saying, would be more likely to be people of color. And she could tell people about a positive experience she's had. Instead, it doesn't only stop there, the ripple goes in reverse because she'd be telling people that about that experience that are of color and just automatically, you know, it's a very kind of secretive industry anyway. If you don't get introduced to this, people don't know it really exists. People no. don't know it's a really a way to make a living, really, oh, like at yeah, school and no, anything like that. It's not, it's not a subject. It's not really talked about. You know what I mean? No. Unless you go to uni and you study film, even then it's a warped view. It's not really how it is. Mm. So a situation like that stops people in their tracks from, from one, getting further, and two, opening the door to others. Yeah. So a small situation like that is an example of how it kind of gets to the point that it is now. Because a lot of it is nepotism. A lot of it is a person that you know. Like I said, me just even being at a christening, yeah. knew this guy. Yeah. That's that's a lot of industries like that, right? But when it's controlled by a particular group of people for so long and they're very protective over what they're doing, they mm. want they want to make sure it's their their cousin or their best mate or whoever's in it. They don't they don't want to open up to new people, especially those times. No. That it's no surprise 
that it gets to how it is now. It's getting a lot better now, but it's like this whole this whole situation with like Black Lives Matter in the UK. And something I always stress to people, yeah, it's getting a lot better. Yeah, it is you'd like to think it's a lot better than America. That doesn't mean that it's it's the the problem solved and that no. there's there's no issue. Like America's the extreme. Yeah. But of course, there's yeah. still loads of stuff here that, that can be a lot better. And like, man, like the, the the thing about this time that's been specifically tough for me, just going off the industry for a sec, has been like the fact that even even though I've been all too aware of like racism in the UK, I've always known it exists. I've always felt it in certain scenarios, whatever. Um, and I've done a lot of like studying when I was younger to do with uh, a lot of different things, systemic racism, a lot of civil rights movements, the history of black people, etc. cetera. Um, but even, even as someone that that's, the, even, even being someone that that's the case with, right? It's still, it still opened up feelings for me, like this whole movement of realizing there's so many things that I do subconsciously which are a pro which are a product of that environment of systemic racism and not trying to come across as that type of black person not trying to look like that type of black not wanting people to see you as that in a in a in a certain environments that you're in trying to come off a certain way to appease other people now that's bullshit everybody has their work version of themselves and not i'm not really relating it to that i'm saying that when people feel and know that the more air quotes, black, they're being, the less of a chance they're going to have at success in in pretty much most fields. That's a problem. Like, that's a massive problem. Knowing that if their name is more black sounding, again, air quotes, they're less likely to get their job. If their accent is more black sounding, they're less likely to be taken seriously or be trusted especially if they're not being seen. Do you know what I'm saying? If they're just on the phone or whatever. That's facts. And the thing that the thing that the that was mad for me to realize was like holy shit, I've been doing a lot of this not even really realizing it. Like telling myself like when I'm trying to like make my moves and that like play the game, but the game should have nothing to do with race. And a lot of the time subconsciously that shit is like even if you're as being a black person, being a mixed race person in this industry, you're aware of it. And like, like again, I'm not gonna like name names, but like a, a guy that is one of my boys who works in the industry, um, in his department, when he first got his like break in his department, right? It was like through a family friend or whatever. He's a black guy, through a family friend. And like, he, he comes to work the first day. You get told you can wear what you want, right? So he comes to work on the first day. He's in like pink shorts, white tee, like, Air Ones, whatever, for example, and glasses on the top of his head. Apart from the sunglasses, I mean, the, other, the rest of the outfit, that's fine. People wear what the hell they want on set, you've seen it. But the, the, the department that he's in, like, are kind of a bit like, like why, is he, why is he kind of dressing like this? But didn't really say it to him, right? So um, the head of the department's brought him into this situation and, like, he's chatting with people, being himself, right? Because... This is what's so different about our industry compared to others. Like with others, you could say, oh, like in, a, in like an office environment, say with accounting, oh, you've got to be a certain way with accounting and be in a professional environment. Yeah, with our industry, it is a professional environment, but people are who they are. If people want to talk slang, if people want to say certain words, people want to swear a lot of the time, unless you're talking to the masses, a lot of the time that's acceptable. That's what people are. So it shouldn't be a problem because you're not talking how everybody else is talking or you're being addressing a certain way that's different, right? 
So this guy, he's um he's had he's had what he thought was like a good day at work, right? At the end, the head of the department said to him, and this head of the department wants him to wants to see this guy do well. This is the this is the worrying part about this story. This is not someone that's against him. This is someone that wants him to do well. Said to him, right, mate, like great day today. Like you did well, um, but after chatting with the boys, like they said they like you and stuff, but like just you just got to like tone it down a bit. And he's like, what, what do you mean tone it down? Tone he's like, down, he's yeah. like, basically in a nutshell, like the way you're coming across, the way you're talking, the way you're dressed, you're just a bit too, like you're being like a bit too like black basically, right? Um, Not in so many words, but that's the massive, massive hint. And he said, if you yeah, want to break in, if you want to break in and do well, first you need this qualification that you need. Yeah. But second, you just need to just change up. And this guy admitted to me, that's, he knew this was his dream that he wanted to do. That's what he felt he had to do. And he's almost jokes with me now saying like, I'm almost like two people. He's like, I'll talk to you how I'm talking to you on set. I'll be how I'm at home, no one else which is a lot of people, yeah. right? But like I said, we're not, we're not, we're not in a, um, we're not in a corporate company. We're not so robots. That, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so exactly. if you can dress how you want and you can talk how you want, that yeah. doesn't apply to you because you're different to them. It's a, it's because what? Because you're black. We, so, yeah. And like I'm saying, I'm not saying the whole industry is like this. I'm just saying these little things are why there's less, sure. you know? One is to do with the people that are running things. They don't know that many black people to bring in and they're less likely to. But it comes from a rich, rich history of how the media portrays black people, how people see black people consciously or subconsciously. Um, and all, all those connotations that come to your brain, like even as a mixed race person, I, I can I can identify the like the bullshit that's been poured into my head that from from Western media, from from media in this country, that is it applies to anybody. It's how they it's how they portray Asian people, how they portray black people. There's there's connotations and and prejudgments that you just come to in your brain about all these groups because of what's been drip fed to you for years. Through you know what I'm saying? So yeah. exactly. And for, so like during this time, I've like said, and I've, I've been vocal about this, like with my friends as well, because like a lot of my boys that are black and stuff have like been getting super frustrated with like people not understanding or being like naive or people just realizing now. But I'm like, if they don't actually have people in their circle that are black, they've never actually looked into it and their whole life they feel like they've been treated fairly. There's no one else to raise you, won't There's no one else to raise that, that question to them, right? So it might be a bit naive or whatever, but on the whole, why would they know all this stuff? They should, maybe they should know a little bit because if they live in a country and they live in a community that's mixed, maybe mm. like, you know, you could learn a bit. But on the whole, I say to them, that's like, that's like the equivalent of, of, of you knowing the, the history of the struggles of Arabs in this country yeah. or Indian people. Like you tell me one thing about that. Yeah. And, the, and, and a lot of the time they wouldn't be able to. So it's like, you, I don't want you to, I don't want people to be angry especially when those same people are coming out for the first time, people that aren't black, aren't they're coming out and saying, this is wrong, trying to back it. And they're kind of getting almost like shamed at times because they're like, they're late to the party or they're only saying this now. But it's like for a movement to, to gain to gain popularity and to gain sh for change to happen, you need new supporters. You need people that have never realized before to come on board now to yeah. make it stronger. So we don't yeah. want to shoo those people away. We want to lift those people up and say, "Don't treat Wicked. it like some sort of hipster niche movement." Yeah, Just thank you, like, thank you. Take it, yeah, take it all in. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and 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 that's 
That's but the thing. More people now, more than ever, I think, are being shown what is actually happening. It's not for just sure. reading the paper. It's not looking at the news. It's actually going down there, going down to the march. It's for sure. Going on social media because they can't really twist it. Mm. There's there's no twisting some of the things we're seeing. Yeah, now. I hear that. And also, I think like one of the most important things about this, like obviously, like what's caused it all is is police brutality, which is a massive issue. But also, what what is kind of sparked is people questioning their own beliefs and their own preconceptions of people. And that I think, when people can actually look inside themselves and understand the way that they've been seeing a certain group has been warped and then they can go on that journey to learn and change. Yeah. That's the most powerful thing that's going to come out of this situation. Yeah. Do you understand what it's I mean? It's taking responsibility for your own interpretations. For sure. Not letting someone else tell for you. For sure. This is what's happening over here. Yeah. It's question, like, question yourself. Question, why do you think that? And just what, talk to people. You know what I'm saying? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like have the conversations. But like, I've also said like, with social media and stuff, unfortunately, because we're in a generation that's so quick to vilify, you're either a hundred percent in or you're out. Yeah. You're you're this and you're that. Yeah. You, you just need to be careful. Some of it, like the conversations, they need to be had in a trusting environment for some people. Because for people to really be honest, they need to be in a safe place where they can exactly. do that and without being not crushed. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So with, with the support and stuff, <clears throat> amazing. Think views that you're maybe questioning or that you want to talk about and be brutally honest with people. You, you want to you put that into a safe space where you can chat to friends about that family. And, and as well, the way, same way that you're challenging your own thoughts about the negative bullshit views that you've had about, about black people. It's like, you want to, once you learn and you, and you re-educate yourself on why you feel that way and, and what's been drip fed to you, then you can try to pose that question to people that you know that would be less likely to hear that from anybody else. Mm -hmm. Because again, if somebody, and there's many circles like this in London and especially outside London, if I'm in a circle where I have pretty much zero black friends um, and zero anybody that's going to push back on what is being told to me by the media or by my immediate circle, which is all exactly like me, why would I then come to the conclusion as soon as I see, oh, Black, Black Lives Matter protests and all I'm seeing is a horse's nose being broken. All I'm seeing is a policeman coming off a horse, police getting attacked, whatever, right? And everybody, including yourself, that I spoke to about these protests, everyone said they've had beautiful experiences, yeah? N none of that is, is at the front of anything. So no. if I'm just that person in that, in that circle, why would I think otherwise? Yeah. What, what, what before this would make me think any differently? It's, if anything, it's reinforcing what I'm th thinking now, seeing mm. all this news, right? It's because you look, you watch the news, you're like, I'm not going there. It looks fucking dangerous. Exactly. exactly. You go down there and it's everyone's just like, you know, there's, there's chanting. Every, there's, there was not one single crossed word. Mm. See, this is what I mean, which is people. tough. And then, but what I'm saying is those people in those circles, what they need, they're way less likely to listen to somebody like me, right? Mm. The, the, they feel, again, like, it's mad how, so, how some of these people feel, but like, they feel like I've got something to gain or I'm playing the race card or any yeah, bullshit yeah, like yeah. that. If they get told by somebody in their circle that's took the time to educate themselves and understand, yo, listen, the way that you're thinking about this is a bit mad. The way that you're seeing this, you should think about it this way. Did you know this? That's more powerful than coming from me. Do you understand what I mean? So the more conversations like that that can be taking place, and I've seen it with my friends, some of, some of my white friends, I'm super proud of the way that they've, they've, they've 
looked into the past, the way they've been honest and said, I didn't know anything about this. I feel so dumb. Like, I literally, I've never, I've never seen police this way. I've never thought that way really towards a black person. Like consciously, I didn't know that there was people because people are coming left, right and center out of the woodwork like with their mad views. Do you know what I mean? And I'm glad, I'm almost glad they are because they're showing people the, the people that are kind of on the fence and feel like racism doesn't exist here. No, it's not really that bad. What, 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 why are they still processing? What, what's all this about? This is about America, isn't it? When they see these comments that aren't even anonymous or from people's people's fucking Actual personal prof yeah. Facebook profiles where you can stop. like see their family and where they live and shit. Yeah. People are so in their views, right? It, it, it kind of takes any question away from people that were asking, does racism exist here? Because all you need to do is go online and see it, you know? Like yeah. it's, um, and that's why it's been kind of hurtful, like to, to, to literally see it, even though you know something exists, right? Like it, it hurts more when you actually see it, but then equally, you know, it's going to be a pain. I know it's going to be a painful process, a lot of uncomfortable conversations, blah, 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 but ultimately it's going to force the change that's needed. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I'm more than happy to have those conversations and be open about it. But on top of that, I think what people need to realize is not everybody is, you know what I'm saying? Not everybody wants to talk, not everybody is yeah. comfortable talking about it. And I feel like I'm glad that this quarantine is still kind of happening because I do feel for some people, especially people that are kind of like maybe one or two people at work that are the only black people there or whatever, right? I know that people would have a bit of anxiety thinking, oh my God, at lunch is everybody gonna ask me about Black Lives Matter. And they might not, they might not have feel, felt oppressed. They might not have felt a certain way, or even if they have, maybe they don't want to talk about it. And the fact that that might now be like open up for them having to have an opinion, that's pressure on people. Yeah. So I'm kind of glad at the moment it's still quarantine and people can kind of have those conversations outside that space. And then if people feel comfortable, they can bring it up at work rather than it being like, so, so-and-so is the only black person there. What do they think about this? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is which is the natural thing that people want to do, but just I just think I just urge people to kind of just like just have a bit of compassion to the situation and understand that everybody's different. Just because one of the one of your friends that you speak to is open about it and wants to talk, that doesn't mean that everybody is, you know. What would be your advice to uh, say sort of a young person of colour now mm. trying to get into the industry what would be sort of a pearl of wisdom that you could give in terms of trying to deal with anything mm. that you've had to sort of mm. overcome mm. in the past personally or anything like that I hear you man I think I think what I will say is instead of instead of seeing your your colour your background as a negative, you you want to see it as a positive because a lot of what the media is trying to replicate now, if you think about all the things that are cool, all the things that are like, that, that have a lot of energy and that, that is being pushed at the moment as cool and current culture is what you probably most likely would have seen yourself. You know what I mean? As a young black person, a, a boy or a girl. So those experiences you have are unique to you. You want to use them. There's people out there that are trying to replicate your experiences that they have no idea about. Do you know what I'm saying? So you come and tell those stories. They're going to they're gonna scream off screen as super authentic because they're coming from you. Do you understand? They're not coming from somebody that's trying to be like, what exactly would, uh, would that person think or what would they do or how would they see it? You've got your own experiences of, of how you've seen things and that's a unique uh, unique 
perspective and a valued one. So you want to hold that with you because there's going to be at times where you feel like you're going to you're going to want to abandon like where you're from or how you've grown up. Um, and I'm not speaking for everybody. I'm just speaking maybe like for some some of the kids that I've come across so far that I've spoken to, and it's like. Instead of instead of that, you want to hold on tighter to it because that's that's what's going to make you different, and um, that's ultimately what's going to make your work come across as more powerful and more authentic, you know. And in terms of like, to be honest, like advice that I've that I've given people in the past is like now that I, now that I've questioned myself and challenged myself and some of the stuff that I've been okay in in my mind that's really not okay. It makes me realize like at times when I've told myself, oh like play the game like and and but when i'm saying play the game it shouldn't be play the game is different should apply differently to people because of where they're from or their race you know because for me it's like play the game i think okay you're a mixed race guy people are going to see different they're going to expect something of you so you got to play the game and make it seem you're this way no that should not be the case and i will not be encouraging anybody to do that because that's wrong man like I don't want people to feel like they have to completely change who they are. Yeah, there's going to be a work version of you. That's fine. You know what I mean? To get along in life, that's what you need to, that's what everybody needs to do regardless of race. But when it comes down to you trying to make yourself not seem too black or come across a certain way to appease other people or get yeah. a foot up, that's bullshit. You're well, trying like, to play the same game but with different rules. Yeah, exactly. You, you want to, you want to try to, to hold what makes you unique, especially in this industry because it is unique, close to your chest and and you want to you want to be able to to come and express yourself on that stage as you and and give a nod to your experiences and and people characters whoever you've grown up around and values that you that you've been taught etc cetera, etc cetera. all those things are unique to you so hold them hold them close and and use them uh use them to uplift yourself rather than to put yourself down or tell yourself you're not going to make it because of this you know fantastic mate well that wraps up um, this little chat that we've had so mate, thank you so much for coming down sorry no more are there any like uh, Instagram handles or anything you want to plug before you go yeah man uh, okay so it's Oats Iris on Instagrams O-A-T-S I-R-I-S not Oats Oranges not Oats <laughs> not Oats Oranges <laughs> unfortunately maybe a director's cut soon come of that but um, but yeah it's Oats, Oats Iris on Instagram then I've got um, I've got my website as well too on there um, or oh, the, the Armory page has got some of my stuff on there but yeah Vimeo check it out hit me up if you need any advice I always love people like reaching out if they got any 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 questions if they need any advice about anything or if they're even just if they're trying to get into the industry I can try to get you on a shoot or whatever That's all for this episode, but please make sure to check out our other episodes and subscribe to the podcast to ensure that all future episodes are on your radar. In the meantime, you can find our main website, family-creative.co.uk and on Instagram at family creative. We'll catch you next time.